Welcome back to season four of the Redeeming Productivity Show. I am your host, Reagan Rose, and I'm here wishing you a Merry Christmas, a very happy new year, and a productive 2022. It is good to be back, and in this first episode of the season, we're going to be talking about how Christians should approach video games. And I'm going to be reading a chapter from my brand new book, A Student's Guide to Gaming, which comes out this week. But before we get into that, I just want to tell you about two things. Are you a believer who struggles to manage your time well and stay organized? Well, come join the community of productivity-minded believers in Redeeming Productivity Academy. Members have access to new courses each month, monthly habit challenges, the Productivity Book Club, and live calls with me, plus much, much more. So if you're looking for that kick in the pants to really get on track for 2022, Redeeming Productivity Academy is the group for you. To learn more about Redeeming Productivity Academy and to sign up, just go to redeemingproductivity.com academy. That's redeemingproductivity.com academy. Also want to give a big shout out to the supporters of this show. I would not be able to keep creating Bible-based productivity content without the help of people like you. So thank you. And if you're getting value out of this show, my newsletter, videos, or other productivity resources, consider becoming a supporter of Redeeming Productivity. You can do so through giving a one-time or recurring donation at redeemingproductivity.com donation, or by joining the Redeeming Productivity Patreon at patreon.com slash redeemingprod. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the podcast that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I am your host, Regan Rose. Well, guys, I am so excited to be back with you for another year, another season, and another episode of the Redeeming Productivity Show. Uh, Just apologies up front if my voice is a little scratchy. I'm just coming off being sick, so sorry about that, but what can you do? Had to record. Uh, Today, like I said in the introduction, I want to talk about video games. I want to talk about uh, this new book I have coming out this week called A Student's Guide to Gaming, which is all about video games. And I want to talk about really just kind of high level why I think this is an important topic and a little bit about my history with gaming addiction and how that sort of intersects with personal productivity. So I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this on here in past episodes, so forgive me if you've heard me tell this story before, but my journey to the world of productivity came by way of video game addiction. When I was a student and even as a young adult, I got really, really into online gaming, like really into it. So much so that I would uh, turn down opportunities to hang out with friends, um, would play all the way through the night many, many times, sacrificing the next day, uh, schoolwork, uh, relationships, everything kind of fell to the side, church commitments, because I was just absolutely enraptured by online gaming. And eventually, you know, Once the Lord kind of got a hold of me and I started to see how important it was to steward my life for him and not just use it to pursue pleasure or whatever it was that like entertained me the most, I eventually tried to sort of renegotiate my relationship with video games. And 
for me at least, this didn't really work. I, I ended up, I've written a whole blog post on this if you want to go find it, about why I eventually just quit video games altogether. Now, all of that being said, I don't think video games are bad. And one of the things that I found incredibly unhelpful as a young Christian were some of the characterizations about gamers or gaming that I heard from believers. Actually, kind of a funny piece of timing was as I was preparing for this episode, I saw on Twitter a guy named Hans Fien, who is the person behind Lutheran satire. If you've ever seen those videos, that's that's heresy, Patrick, from Lutheran satire. That's This is the guy behind it. So I think, I think he was joking with this tweet, but this is what he wrote. He said, gentlemen, if you stop playing video games and use that time to learn how to make furniture and stuff, attractive women will want to marry you and have your babies. So I think he was joking, but that is sort of the message you hear a lot. And I know a lot of young people, especially young men, get pretty tired of hearing that trope, kind of getting beaten over the head. Like if you if you play video games, you must be a loser. You must be um, just wasting your time. You can't possibly be uh, a serious Christian if you're playing video games. And I heard that stuff from people, and I did not find those sort of guilt-based uh, arguments convincing. You want to know why? It's because all people have some sort of entertainment they indulge in. You know, you don't hear those same sort of characterizations used against Christians who watch a lot of sports or who even read a lot of books, like a lot of fiction books. And what I mean is we all have different forms of entertainment that we enjoy. And there's there's nothing wrong with entertainment or enjoying good artwork, whether it's a, a game or a book or a movie or, or an athletic competition. Those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. And so when people single out gaming, you know, it's it's frustrating. And I just think it's it's unhelpful for Christian young men because you, you see the double standard and they see the double standard. And so I just think it's it's not helpful and it's wrong really to single out one single sort of entertainment choice as particularly bad. And now I understand there, there's nuance to this, you know, y- you could single out types of video games, maybe for their content, or you could single out type the same way you would with movies, that, that an R-rated movie, you know, the content is maybe something a Christian shouldn't enjoy. But all things being equal, if you're given equal amount of time to watching Netflix shows versus playing video games, I don't think you should single out gamers and say that they're particularly egregiously wasting their time. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's helpful. Nevertheless, for me, and I speak here entirely, you know, personally, the subjective, I found that I was unable to control the amount of time that I was spending playing video games. I would start playing online games and I I couldn't stop myself. I would want to just play for hours and hours and hours and hours. And even after long periods of time where I kind of set games aside and I said, I'm just not going to do this because I can't handle it. I tried it again years later and the same thing happened. Even as an adult, I would just, if I, if I was left to my own devices, I would play video games all day and all night. Like I cannot stop. And that led me to this bigger question Instead of asking, are video games bad, which I don't think is the right question to ask, I started asking, why are video games so good? Why are they so fun? 
Why is it that I in particular find gaming so enthralling that that unlike anything else, I can give all of my time to it? You know, a book, I get bored of reading. Even movies, I get bored. Uh, I can't watch like two movies in a row. Or TV, I can't do those things endlessly. But there's something about participating in games, in video games, that like I just could do it endlessly. And so it was that question, why are games so fun? What is it about it? that really just captures my heart and, and my attention. That's what led me to write this book, uh, A Student's Guide to Gaming, uh, which is part of Christian Focus's track series. And that book comes out this week. I'm going to read a, a sample of it for you in just a few minutes. But I wanted to kind of tell you my thought process, what the book's about, give you a little bit of idea of what I think is going on here. And of course, I delve deeper into it in the little booklet. So here's sort of my, my thesis about video games. And again, I don't, I don't think this is true for everyone, but I think for, for people like me, and, and I think this is true of a lot of young people, and maybe you're a parent uh, or, or, a, or a pastor or a youth pastor, and you've got students or young people that you see giving an inordinate amount of time to video games. You know, even more than they would to any other form of entertainment. You're just like, wow, they spend a lot of time doing that. I'm hopeful that this little booklet will help you understand that. And more so, the, the booklet is designed actually for students to read, uh, though I wrote it in a way that, that'll be helpful to parents or pastors as well. Um, but I want to get at the heart motivations. And so here's sort of my, my thesis. Here's like the overall thought process. I think that the reason games can be so particularly enthralling is because of the way God has designed us. We were designed for dominion, right? You know, God, God places Adam and Eve in the garden and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. He tells them to name the animals, tells them to rule and reign over this creation. That's what we were made for. And I think in a post-curse uh, world, post-Genesis 3, we find that our efforts at dominion are constantly thwarted. Right? Even at work, like the reason our work is frustrating is because we can't actually fully master the stuff that we're trying to, to overcome, right? Obstacles come, thistles, thorns, all of that. But in games, you have this simulation where there are obstacles that you can overcome, but they are by design programmed to be more easily overcome. You can beat that level. You can accomplish that next goal. Right, and so you experience that dominion, whether it's whether it's uh, in like owning people in a first-person shooter, or um, building a giant giant city in like Minecraft or something. That dominion, that 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 heart for dominion that we have, gets expressed in video games, and that's satisfying to us. Um, the problem with that is that if we find our satisfaction in this sort of simulated dominion, what it can do is it can diminish our appetite to rule and reign in the world, in the real world, as we ought to, right? To actually do well and succeed at, at our jobs, um, to, to overcome the real life obstacles, which are much more complicated and less easily managed as the programmed obstacles of video games are. I think another thing is that with video games, especially online ones, is you can kind of have this substitute uh, fellowship with people. And this is a real uh, attractiveness and a danger. And this is actually some of my concerns over um, the metaverse stuff, like we talked about a few episodes ago, 
is through the internet, you can have these mediated relationships. You can be whoever you want to be. You can hide behind your avatar in a video game, right? You can have a, a fake name, right? The attractiveness of that is twofold. One, I, we're, I'm made for relationships. God made me to be in relationship with people. But because of the curse, uh, my relationships are fractured, right? There's difficulty. There's awkwardness. There's, there's chance of conflict with relationships. So in, in a video game environment, I'm able to have relationships online with people, but it's mediated by the fact that it's not really me. I can kind of hide behind this avatar, hide behind this name, and they're always at arm's distance. I can always pull the plug. I can always leave. I can always disappear without really any consequences that way. And so I talk about in the book some people that I've met that have gone like fully overboard into that and some of the problems that creates. It creates problems in your presence uh, with your family, with your real, real life relationships and your church if you don't understand those dangers with online relationships and manage them well. Uh, again, I'm not saying that I'm against that, having relationships with people online through games even, but, but you just have to be able to manage that well. And I'll just give you one more answer to that question of why are video games so fun? And I think that it's, we were designed for reward. We were designed to enjoy the fruits of our labor. And we know that that's where all of human history is headed, that God is going to reward uh, those who have been faithful in the end. And I think that that's not a bad thing. You know, it says that whoever would come after him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. And so we want that. We crave reward. But again, in a, in a gaming environment, the problem is you can, you can become satisfied with the temporal fictional rewards of video games, which makes them so fun. You know, when you unlock an achievement, when you open up a new level, when you uh, unlock a new character, or even just when you beat a level, there's that sense of euphoria of, I did it. You know, I achieved something. I won. And that's a good thing. You were designed for it. The, the trouble is, if you don't recognize it for what it is, which is a substitute, it's just pretend, you can really start to build an addiction to those simulated rewards. And again, forget about the real mission that we're on as Christians, the real stuff we're supposed to accomplish in this life. So again, this, this book is not anti-video game. It's, uh, it doesn't ask the question, why are video games bad? It asks, why are video games so good? And how can we have a responsible relationship to our games so that we might enjoy them to the glory of God, but not be mastered by them? The book, A Student's Guide to Gaming, comes out actually this Thursday, January 14th. You can pre-order it on Amazon or Christian Focus, or you can just purchase it on the 14th, wherever you get your Christian books. Uh, but now I thought it might be fun to read a sample of one of the chapters to you so you can get a taste for what it's all about. A Student's Guide to Gaming, Chapter 2. You've been given a quest. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 One of the most popular types of video game is the role-playing game. Traditionally set in a medieval fantasy world, RPGs require the hero to develop skills and accomplish various quests. 
It might mean slaying a dragon, saving a princess, or exploring a dungeon, but there's always a quest or a mission. Most RPG quests start the same way. A non-player character gives you a mission, which you agree to in exchange for a reward. You've just signed up for a quest. It will require preparation, it will require overcoming obstacles, and it will most certainly require you to avoid distractions to complete it. But in the end, the reward will be well worth the trouble. When you sign up to be a Christian, you are saying yes to the greatest quest of all time. You are repenting of your sins, trusting in Christ's sacrifice, and acknowledging that Jesus is Lord over all, including your life. It's agreeing with God that your life is not your own and offering all of it to him as a living sacrifice. The king of the universe has set you free from sin, but he has also set you on a quest. This quest will require preparation. There will be obstacles to overcome and there will be distractions that tempt you to abandon the mission. But in the end, the reward will be well worth it. Distractions are everywhere, aren't they? In an RPG, for example, there's the big quest that makes up the main storyline, but there are also side quests you can undertake. These unrelated adventures are easier to accomplish, but they pay out much smaller rewards than the main quest. And while these side quests might be fun and moderately rewarding, if you spend all your time engaging in these diversions, you will never beat the main quest. I think for some Christians, video games themselves can become like a side quest a diversion from the main mission of life. And that can happen with anything, not just video games. Entertainment is not necessarily sinful, but it needs to be put in its proper place. Anything, a job, a hobby, or video games, can get in the way of the mission Jesus has given us, if we let it. The quest of the Christian life is far too important a mission to be sidetracked by anything else. But what exactly is the quest of the Christian life? What are we supposed to be doing with our time here on earth? Mission accepted. If you asked a room full of believers what the mission of the Christian life is, you would likely get a variety of responses. Some might say the mission is to help those in need. Others might say it's to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Still others would suggest the goal is simply to avoid sinning. Those things are all true to some degree, but they're only aspects of the main quest. The Westminster Shorter Catechism summarizes the Christian's mission simply. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Your mission is to glorify God. But have you accepted the mission? One of the worst things in a game is that feeling when you reach the end of a level and realize you've forgotten to bring some crucial item. But in real life, the stakes are much higher. If you reach the end of this life and have not obtained the most important possession of all, it really is game over for you, eternally. So, to even begin the quest of the Christian life, you have to first have Jesus Christ. He's not an optional add-on, and you need Jesus not just for the mission he gives you, but because you've got a serious problem. The Red Ring of Death Microsoft's Xbox 360, released in 2005, was supposed to be a revolutionary gaming console but the early versions were plagued by a manufacturing flaw. The Red Ring of Death, as it came to be known, was the thing every Xbox 360 owner dreaded. The console had a circle of four indicator lights on the front, which normally blink green in various patterns, indicating the system is functioning properly. 
but the Red Ring of Death, or Arrod for short, was when all four lights turned ominously red. When that happened, it was game over. Your shiny new video game console would never turn on again. This problem was so widespread that Microsoft had to create an exchange program and explain to customers what had gone wrong. It turns out the R-Rod failure was due to an inferior material being used to bond some of the internal components in place. As the system would heat up during extended gameplay, a specific bonding point would become soft and eventually it would completely break. This usually caused a horrible grinding noise as it put a deep, disc-ruining scratch into whatever game you happened to be playing at the time. R.I.P. my copy of Halo 3. And just like that, your video game console was transformed into a $500 doorstop. Every Xbox 360 owner had heard stories about the R-Rod and prayed it wouldn't happen to them. But if you played long enough, it was inevitable. There was a flaw in the system. The Red Ring of Death was due to a flaw in the machine's design. Mankind has a flaw too, though it is not due to any negligence on the part of our designer. Every human being is born pre-broken due to sin. We have all inherited the guilt of the first man, Adam, who sinned against God, Romans 5.12. And we've been complicit in this rebellion against our maker ever since. Daily we sin against God, choosing our own desires over his commands. And no one can argue that they have not. God's word says we are all guilty. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And this sin has damning consequences, for the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. A wage is what you're owed, what you deserve for your work. But the wages we've earned aren't a sack of digital gold pieces or a plus ten sword. It's death, eternal death. Apart from Christ, we're all destined for eternal doom. And this seemingly severe consequence is because God, being a just judge, will not allow mankind's rebellion to go unpunished. He created us for a mission, to bring him glory. But instead, we've marred the image of God by choosing sin. And a day is coming when God will judge every person who has ever lived, and we will all get what we are owed. Hebrews 9.27 And the terrifying news is that there is nothing we can do about it on our own. No number of good deeds, no prayers, or church services will save us. It is entirely hopeless in our own strength. There is no way out. That is, unless God makes a way. Good news. The good news is that God has made a way for sinners like us to be saved from this destiny. Our problem is that we need to be forgiven and we need to be righteous. To be righteous simply means that your life and attitudes are perfectly conformed to God's standards. The problem, as we have seen, is that we don't meet God's standards. We have fallen short. But how can a broken creature become righteous in God's sight if we've already fallen short? What is needed, then, is a substitute. If you're going to be made righteous in God's eyes, someone needs to stand in your place to take the punishment you deserve. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Someone must fulfill the righteousness required to be acceptable in God's sight. The good news of the gospel should really be called great news because it announces that someone has indeed come to stand in the place of sinners like us. Jesus Christ is that substitute. 
2,000 years ago, God the Father sent his only son, Jesus, into the world as a human. This was a rescue mission born out of love. John 3.16 Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life, never sinning and always obeying, and he died as a sacrifice to pay the wage of death that sinners owed to God. Jesus came so that unrighteous sinners like you and me could be forgiven for our sins and obtain a right standing before God. And Jesus rose from the dead three days later, proving that he was who he said he was and defeating death. So now all who trust in him can be forgiven, declared righteous, and have eternal life. If you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus, you become united to him in such a way that when God looks on you, he sees Christ's death as atoning for your sins and his righteousness as counting towards your account. Then we are no longer like the Xbox 360, flawed and destined for destruction. In Christ, we have forgiveness, righteousness, and eternal life. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. And you also receive that great life's mission. But if you don't start with Christ, the quest to glorify God with your life will be entirely fruitless. Conclusion Putting your faith in Jesus Christ is just the beginning of the quest. Once we're in Christ by faith, we are then equipped to fulfill our purpose, to glorify God with our lives. The rest of the life of a Christian is living out that mission in God's power. And on this epic journey, the biggest danger is that we would forget that mission or be put off course by lesser things. The world is so full of distractions, and video games can become one of those distractions. They have the potential to enslave us and draw us away from what God has called us to do. And that's really the whole point of this book. If our gaming has the potential to hinder our pursuit of glorifying God, then we need to scrutinize the place we will allow games to occupy in our lives. Games are great to enjoy in their proper place, but we have to be on the lookout for side quests that take the place of the main quest. That was a reading from chapter two of my new book, A Student's Guide to Gaming. Once again, A Student's Guide to Gaming comes out this Thursday, January 14th. You can pre-order it right now on Amazon or Christian Focus, and I'll include links in the description for those. Or you can purchase it on the 14th wherever you get your Christian books. I'll see you again here next week, but until I do, remember this. In whatever you do, do it well and do it all for the glory of God. For more productivity from a Christian worldview, check out my weekly newsletter, Reagan's Roundup. Every Thursday, I share an insight along with the five best links I found that week that I think will help you in your journey to becoming a more productive Christian. It's totally free. Just go to newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com to sign up for Reagan's Roundup. That's newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com.